Luke chapter 9, we're starting from verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when, they, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, they, when they had calmed down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. And, but Jesus rebuked in the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. The second reading comes from Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter, starting from chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. 
I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be at, you may be at any time, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing the first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning, everyone. It's not such a good morning then. Bad morning, everyone. You here with me? You're live? Yes? All right, good. Good to see everyone here, and good to see everyone uh, on the live stream as well. Uh, welcome back to SLE Church for another week. Um, it's good to see a few new faces that I don't fully recognize, and good to see some old faces I haven't seen for a while. Uh, welcome back to uh, Church at Ryan's Road in person. Uh, hopefully I get a chance to say hello to you if I haven't met you before. Um, we are currently at the end of our trial period for our Church at Home groups. So um, uh, most of you who have been around for the last few weeks probably know that we've been uh, meeting in people's homes for home church. And then once uh, every so often we are able to come into the church building. So it was really exciting that in the first round of the trial, we had about 200 people sign up for church at home groups. And in this current round, there's 259 people uh, that we've had to place into 30 over home church groups. So it's very exciting. Uh, but not, it's not just exciting, it's also a bit scary, I think, for some people to have to move to a new home church uh, for the next four weeks. Uh, so if that's you, uh, I encourage you to, to give it a good go, um, have a chance to new, meet new people, uh, go to new places. Uh, it is scary and uncomfortable. Um, but we are a family, and uh, we don't get to choose who are our brothers and sisters in the family. So we get a great chance to just be open-minded and open-hearted uh, as we meet new people. I know some people have requested to stay in the same groups for this next period. That's great. That's fine. That's great. But perhaps in the following rounds, you'd be happy to um, perhaps uh, meet other people. That will be a wonderful thing as well. If you haven't yet signed up for a church at home group, you can still do so. Uh, go to our web, web, website, sla.church/homechurchrego. Uh, and you can put any of your special requests there as well, and we'll be happy to meet them as we can. All right, well, we'll come back for another week. We are in our second sermon of this new series in uh, Luke's Gospel, looking in the middle few chapters of Luke, uh, which will take us to about chapter 11. We may, we may extend the series uh, further beyond that, uh, but we did hear a pretty uh, confronting message last week. Uh, we're going to continue on uh, in our passage today, looking at Luke 9, 27. So if you keep your Bibles open there, uh, and follow along. We're only looking at about six and a half verses, quite short, um, but hopefully it will be something that God would speak to us and encourage us through his word today. Uh, well, you also find that uh, the bulletin and the outline for the sermons on uh, the church website as well. So if you are coming to home, into church and you want to take notes, you might want to print that out beforehand. Otherwise, you can always pull that up on your phone uh, if it helps you follow along. 
But for now, please join me as I pray for us and that God would speak to us as we open his word again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for your mercy and grace, your great love poured out through your son Jesus, whom you sent to be our saviour and king. As we come before your word again this week, as we continue on in this sermon series in Luke, as we come face to face with who Jesus really is as the Christ, really help us understand what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Uh, even as we hear things that might be hard, we also pray that you'll speak to us and encourage us to keep pressing on. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we began our sermon series last week in this uh, first part, uh, or in the first sermon of this Luke series by asking the question, what is a Christian? Right? What is a Christian? Uh, and the answer that we saw last week, which was quite a confronting answer, is that a Christian is someone who gives their life over to Jesus to let Jesus be the one who defines who we are and we give ourselves to Jesus so that we belong to him. Right? He is our king. We saw how last week that we are to lose our life now with the hope that we will save it in the future. We lose our life by giving it over to Jesus with the hope and promise that in the future he will give us eternal life with him in his kingdom, in his eternal kingdom. Now many of us uh, that I spoke to uh, found that message very confronting and quite discomforting. Right, because we, we grow up in a world uh, where we are told that we, we can be and we ought to define who we are and we belong to ourselves. It's not easy to go against our natural urges to live life our own way for ourselves. It's also extremely difficult and hard to go against the grain of the world, where the world is saying, gain from the world, get what the world has to offer, live your best life now. And so it will seem like we're living in one big marshmallow test. Right? Remember last week I talked about the marshmallow test. It's an experiment done on kids from the age of, I think, four to six, where they would uh, put a marshmallow on the table, and the researcher would tell the kid, I'll leave the room, and if you don't eat the marshmallow by the time I come back, I'll come back and give you another one. Right? So that was the marshmallow test. It feels like we are well, in one big marshmallow test. Will we eat the marshmallow now? So there to be a graphic coming out here. I think it doesn't work. Okay, will we eat the marshmallow now, or will we wait for the researcher to return to us to give us something more and something better? It seems like the world, the life we live in as a Christian, is one big marshmallow test. Now, in this marshmallow test experiment, done in the 80s, I think it was, there was a follow-up experiment, okay, a follow-up experiment to this marshmallow test done by three researchers called Kid, Pomeri, and Aslin. And they, they postulated and they discovered why some kids would give in and eat the marshmallow before the researcher came back, and why another bunch of kids would be able to hold out and hold on to the promise of the second marshmallow and not eat. Uh, Kid Palmer and Aslin did something, right? They did something to the kids right, before they conducted the actual marshmallow test. They created an environment where these kids experienced one of two things. Now, do you know what that experience was? It was torture. No, it's just kidding, not torture. <laughs> <laughs> they set an environment that helped them uh, feel either reliability or unreliability, right? Reliability or unreliability. That's what the experience that they had. So one group of kids, poor kids, they were given maybe a, 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 a crayon, one single small crayon, and they were promised that they'll get more crayons with many more colors later on. But then the researchers would never give them what they promised. 
and then they'll, they'll give them a ser- another kid will get another series of promises. They'll get maybe one, one, one lolly, and then they'll get promised a, a, a lot more lollies and chocolates, but they were never given uh, what they were promised. That's one group of kids, poor kids. Now, there's another group of kids, the opposite experience. They were promised one thing, they were given a crayon, and then the researcher would promise them more crayons, and they'll get it a few minutes or a few hours later. And they'll be promised something else, maybe a, a sweet, and then they would get that promise fulfilled later on. They'll get more. Now, you don't have to be a research genius to figure out which group of kids did better at the marshmallow tests. In fact, the results were so, so significant that this, this environment of reliability or unreliability had a huge impact as to whether the kids would wait for the extra marshmallow or whether they would give in and just eat that marshmallow that was offered to them in the first place. See, reliable experiences are crucial if we're going to put aside the temptations of things that seem good now in the hope of something better in the future. Reliable experiences are crucial. And that's what we see in our passage today. That's what we see in our passage today. Jesus gave his disciples amazing experiences of his glory and majesty. He gave them reliable experiences so that they could trust him and so that they could hold out so that it could be encouraged to keep trusting Jesus, so they'll be enabled to be able to keep following Jesus and obeying Jesus with that hope of something better in the future. Now for us today, 2,000 years after this happened to the disciples, we actually have something even better than what these, experiences, these disciples experienced in chapter 9. So let's have a look, okay? Now the daunting call to follow Jesus, right, verse 23 to 26 of chapter 9, is counterbalanced by an amazing, huge, reassuring promise to his disciples in verse 27. Have a look. Chapter 9, verse 27. But I tell you, so this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So as Jesus spoke to his disciples who sat before him or stood before him, he promised them that some of them will experience the kingdom of God before they experience death. They will experience the kingdom of God before they will experience death. They will, they, will, they will live to see something of the glory of the kingdom of God. They will get to see the king do his thing. They will get to experience something that proves Jesus' reliability in a way that will help them to be able to truly and wholeheartedly keep following Jesus, no matter how difficult it would be. Now, the the question is, what exactly did Jesus mean when he said that they would see the kingdom of God in verse 27? Now, we only have to read on to the next verses to find out what Jesus meant. Read with me from verse 28, chapter 9, 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so we see up on this mountain with Jesus were three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James. And they got to see something extraordinary. Right? Technically, we call it the, the transfiguration of Jesus. But simply put, Jesus just started glowing, right? He just started glowing, and, and something strange, and oh, this world was happening. And if you know your Bibles, you'll know that this kind of glowing image on top of a mountain is a picture of God, right? In His Shekinah glory, is something divine happening here. 
Now, what was actually happening here? Was it a vision that the disciples saw, or did Jesus really transform into some other glorious form? Now, there's some debate over what's actually going on here, but I don't think it really matters or is the point. You see, what matters here is that Jesus had promised his disciples that they would see the kingdom of God before they died. And right here on the mountain, eight days after this promise, they get to see, don't they? Something of the kingdom of God. A glorious experience of God's kingdom coming in this dazzling glory, a preview right, of the eternal king in his eternal glory. Now, we all kind of have a, have a sense of this where we, as we wait you know, for these blockbuster movies, right? And, and probably the movie of the decade, the movie of the century, the movie of our, our lifetime was Avengers Endgame, wasn't it? Now, Avengers Endgame came with a lot of uh, promise and hope, and there was a teaser trailer that came out you know, a year or so before the movie came, uh, and it was a huge build-up. And when this uh, teaser came, uh, it, it, you, know, you know what teasers are like, isn't it? They, they, they tease what the movie is about, maybe the silhouette Right, of the villain, the main villain. Or, or, or maybe it'll be an image <coughs> that would hint at the, 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 the destiny of the hero. And you see that helmet there, and you know what happens there. Spoiler alert, right, for those who understand. <coughs> and when this teaser comes out, the, the fans go crazy. You know when the, the, Endgame's Avengers, the, the Avengers Endgame teaser came out, 289 million views on YouTube in the first 24 hours. Excitement, right? It's stirred up. It's, it's only a glimpse of the full-length feature film, but it raises all these hopes and expectations. It's a promise, an assurance of what is to come as you see this teaser. Now, the transfiguration of Jesus was a bit like that, right? a glorious teaser, a preview of the king in his eternal glorious form. And that would have been a sight to see for the disciples up on that mountain. Now, to drive this experience home even further, Besides the transfigured Jesus were two characters, right? Moses and Elijah, two Old Testament prophets that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. <clears throat> now Moses, he's the greatest and the most prominent of all the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and he's uh, uh, famous, obviously, for leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt in the great Exodus, where through him God brought judgment on the Egyptians in order to bring salvation to his people Israel. Right, so that's Moses, we know him. And Elijah is another great prophet in his own right. But even more importantly about Elijah is a prophecy that is made later on in the book of Malachi about another Elijah prophet that will come. And this is what Malachi 4 prophesies. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, of Yahweh, God comes. Right, here in Malachi is a prophecy that another Elijah will come who will usher in the Lord God himself for that great and awesome, that final day, that final judgment, and that final salvation. So here on the mountain, beside the dazzling, glorious Jesus, is the prophet Moses of the Exodus and the prophet Elijah who will usher in, in a way, the final Exodus. And here they are, we're told that they're talking about Jesus' departure. Now, what it interests you to know that the word departure in Greek is literally exodus. They were speaking of Jesus' exodus. It's, it's an amazing image, isn't it? The exodus prophets kind of pointing to, affirming, declaring the exodus Jesus who will bring about as the Lord the final judgment and salvation. What a picture. What a powerful testimony. A prophetic affirmation of who Jesus 
Christ is and what he will do. He is the eternal king who will bring in the kingdom of God. And so they get another glorious experience. The disciples up on this mountain, another glorious experience of the kingdom of God. But that's not all. Right? That's one more. There's one more amazing experience to come up on this mountain. Peter, John, and James had somehow managed to fall asleep right, while all this was happening with Elijah and Moses. But they wake up enough to see uh, these three people, Jesus flanked by these two glorious prophets, and they're about to leave. Right? Amazed by this and not knowing what to say, Peter, as always, when he doesn't know what to say, he will always speak up and speak nonsense. Okay, that's Peter. He will speak up and speak nonsense. And this is what he says in verse 33. As the men were parting from him, so this is the Moses and Elijah were parting from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Uh, let us make tents, three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, we're not entirely clear because we're not told exactly what Peter had in mind as he said this, but you can kind of fill in the blanks. He's like, don't leave, right? You honored guests, don't leave. Stay, stay longer, right? Uh, eat, right? Eat more food. Like, you know, Asians, you can start to stay longer. Uh, and he, maybe he wants this experience to continue. Maybe he, you know, he's expected the, the Christ to come, and now these glorious prophets are in attendance. Let's all stay, and let's all hang around. Let's have the kingdom of God come down in full. Basically, he got no idea, but he says, you know, let's do this. But what we do get, even though we're not sure what Peter means, but what we do get is probably the most epic shut up, right, in the history of mankind. Right? So what happens next is like the most epic shut up that you could ever hear from anyone. Right? It's a shut up that comes from heaven itself. Verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. From all the clouds of the heavens, the God speaks to Peter, especially, I think, but also to John and James. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Peter, now is not the time to speak about things that you don't know about. Now is the time to listen. Now is the time to learn. You see, Peter, John, and James are told to listen to Jesus because clearly, as we read through these stories, they don't know who Jesus really is yet. Right? They know he's the Christ, but they're completely bamboozled by the fact that this Christ will have to suffer and be rejected and killed before he is raised to glory. Right? They, they, they don't really get what's going on. They don't really fully understand what it means to follow Jesus. It means to be redefined as a, as a human being. and it, it means to belong to Jesus. They don't fully get, as we'll see in the next few chapters, that following Jesus is actually really, really hard. So God gives them all the encouragement that they need. The glorious experience up on this mountain, seeing a preview of the full glory of the eternal Christ, the affirmation of the Exodus prophets, and then to top it all off, the voice of God himself. This is my glorious son. I listen to him. Oh, what an experience, right? What an experience it would have been to be Peter, John, and James, right, in their shoes. But, as we all know, the mountaintop experience uh, never uh, continues on, right? Like, we go to camps, and it feels like we're on a mountaintop. We're literally out on a mountaintop. And then we come back down to earth, and this is kind of what happens for them. Jesus and the three disciples, they come back down to earth, so to speak. Back into this life, and this broken world, and this faithless and twisted generation. And as we read on in this passage, there's a huge contrast to what had just happened up on the mountain. 
Right, so come down the mountain, a great crowd approaches Jesus. They are perturbed and they are disturbed. A father cries out in anguish. His child is experiencing a living hell, possessed by a spirit that causes him to constantly cry out and, and to convulse. And, and, and this child is being shattered day by day without end. Can you feel the anguish in this story, the brokenness? the hopelessness. And to make it worse, this father had begged and asked the, the, the disciples that had not gone up the mountain, the remaining nine, to cast out the spirit, this demon, from, from their child. Now, the really strange thing is that if you go back to chapter 9, verse 1, never look through, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, what did Jesus say to the disciples? What did Jesus do? Jesus had given his disciples the authority, the power to cast out evil spirits and to heal the sick. So why couldn't they do it? Jesus says in verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? You see, this is Jesus' assessment of the world, right? It was a faithless and twisted place. This world that had turned her back on God, living in rebellion, twisting God's world out of shape by our sin, shattering it into pieces. And it would seem like the disciples are part of the problem. They were given the authority, but perhaps they too were very much part of this faithless and twisted generation, and they too couldn't overcome these things. They couldn't cast out the evil spirit. And so Jesus acts. As we read on, Jesus says, Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. You see, it wasn't just on the mountaintop that Jesus gave a preview, an experience of the glorious Christ. Because down here, in the dark valley of faithlessness, in this broken and twisted world, Jesus also gave an experience of his majesty. The healing, this healing in this story, along with all of the others that he performed in his time on earth, were a preview, a glimpse of the glorious future, a future where there will be no pain, and there will be no sickness, and there will be no suffering, and there will be no death, spiritual, physical, or otherwise. The disciples, the father, the son, the crowd, they got to experience a real taste of the kingdom of God. They got to see the king in action. Now, what do you think then is the right response to this experience? Well, to this faithless generation, Jesus calls for faith. Right? Put your faith in me. To the disciples and to all who will listen, put your faith in Jesus. Having seen a glimpse of his majesty in the brokenness of this life, you can see how he will bring us eternal life that is far better as we experience the faithlessness and the twistedness and the brokenness of this life now in ourselves and in the world around us, it's an encouragement for us to see that Jesus is at work to turn that around. And so we give our lives over to Him and trust in the life that He will give us in the future, a life that is fully fixed, wonderfully made whole again. Now, the disciples who followed Jesus then received a series of amazing experiences that must have greatly encouraged them to keep following Jesus. Right? They received some amazing experiences. And the question that we can rightly ask today is, what about us? Right? What about me? What do I get to experience 
that will encourage me to keep following Jesus? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? What's what's God got for us to encourage us? Because we can sometimes think to ourselves as we read a story like this in Luke 9, if only God would appear, if only Jesus would appear in his dazzling glory before me, maybe standing right in front of us now, then I would be able to believe. Then I'll be encouraged to be able to follow him and believe in him and obey him. Or maybe we say to ourselves, if only God would speak out of the cloud. Right? Not just an not just image of my dreams, but actually in the daytime, right? He would suddenly part the skies and, and speak to me. I'll be able to follow Jesus better then. What do we have that can help us? And can it ever be better than what Peter, John, and James experienced up on that mountain? Can it be better than what the disciples experienced as they saw Jesus casting out demons here on earth? You know what? Peter tells us himself with his own words that we have something better. Right? Have a look at Second Peter chapter 1. This is the Peter that was on that mountaintop, and this is what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so this is the, the, scene, the scene that we've just seen right in Luke 9. Now listen very carefully to what Peter says next. And this applies to us. And we have something more sure, more confirmed in some versions, right? The prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy or scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, are we missing out? Are we missing out because we don't get to see a vision or we don't get to hear a voice of Jesus in glory? Are we missing out because we don't get, you know, the, the, the sky is open for us and a glorious picture and a, and a, and a, and a, and a divine voice in our lives? And Peter's answer is no, not at all. In fact, he says that we have something more sure. Right? Verse 19 there, isn't it? More sure. And what, what is that? That is the prophetic word, right? the word of God. More sure than visions and voices. This is more sure. Now we have to remember, right? What Peter got to see up on that mountaintop was this, the teaser. He got the preview the trailer to the main feature film. He got one still shot, right, of the full-length film. He got one phrase, one line from the movie. But what do we get in the Word of God? We get the whole feature-length film. That's what we get. We get the Old Testament, the entire backstory. We don't just get Endgame. We get, uh, what is it, uh, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Captain America, Winter... We get the whole thing, right? The whole backstory, Old Testament, gives us God's entire salvation plan laid out for us, the blueprint. And then we get the New Testament. We get the full historical account of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection, the ascension into heaven of Jesus Christ. We get to know who Jesus really is. Not just the glimpses that the disciples got to see while he was on earth, 
We get to see how the kingdom of God grew and grew from as small as a mustard seed, a few faithless, cowardly, scared disciples suddenly grow by the hundreds and the thousands and the millions down through the millennia. And then we get to know how it all ends. Right? The Marvel franchise will go on forever because they'll keep making money out of us, right? But we know the end of the story. We get Revelation chapter 21 and 22. The end of the story, which says, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The Lamb sits on the throne. The King of God will come. A new world awaits. We belong to that day we sang before, didn't we? The day that will come when the king will be revealed in full and a new world awaits us, a perfect and beautiful world. In this humble book, it looks humble. It's printed up by some gold embossed lettering here. But it's just a humble book. It's cardboard. It's paper. It's often despised, neglected, something that we take for granted. And yet it is the full revelation of the glory of God. Right, the kingdom of God is, is, is revealed to us in this book. The king, the eternal king of that kingdom is revealed to us in this book. Why yearn for a vision here or a voice there? Why do we not see and why do we not treasure that God's full revelation, the full picture is here? Why do we not do that? The more sure word, how are we going about reading it and, and trying to understand it and appreciating it and believing in it and obeying it? This is God's gift to us to encourage us. A better, far, far better one than Peter, John, and James received on that mountain. God's voice from the cloud on that mountain told Peter, James, and John, listen to my son. And his instruction today is even more so, listen to his word that gives us the full picture about his son in the kingdom. Now, in our passage today, we also saw that the disciples didn't just experience the glory of Jesus up on the mountaintop experience, but they also experienced it in the brokenness, in the faithlessness, in the twistedness of this world. They experienced the majesty of Jesus through the healing of this demon-possessed, this tragically broken boy. Now, I I think that in an even greater way, we too experience the the glory and the majesty of Jesus' work in our lives and the lives of those around us today. Right? Because when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he sent his spirit to continue his work in this broken, faithless, and twisted world. Jesus continues to be in the glorious work of transforming people, bringing people to faith, bringing people to his kingdom, and transforming them into his glorious likeness. Do you see that in your own life? Do you see that in your own spiritual rebirth? in your own spiritual regeneration, in your own spiritual renovation? Have you not come to know and enjoy and glory in the amazing grace of God? Have you experienced, you know, the taking away of guilt, the joy of the forgiveness of sins? Have you not experienced and seen glorious, miraculous change in your life? It may be slow, but your character, isn't it, being shaped? Your morals, your values, your purposes, your pursuits in this life. Is not it becoming more holy and more good and more precious? If you've come to know Jesus at all for, for, for a few days or weeks, months or even years, I'm sure that if you stop and thought about it, you will be able to see the glory and the majesty of Jesus at work in your life through His Holy Spirit. Every experience of change, 
of glorious change is supposed to encourage us to be able to keep holding on to Jesus, to keep following him. But of course, the sample size of this experience isn't just one, is it? There are so many people in this sample, in our family, in our church, in history past, in the present world, and the world to come, we will see Jesus gloriously at work. Everywhere and every day, faith grows, broken lives are being made new and made whole again. Have you noticed it? Have you seen it in, around, in the people around you? Now, a couple of weeks back at church camp, many of you know, we, we, we had a, a segment in camp called Stories of Grace. Uh, and we have people sharing about how God has been at work in their lives, especially in the last sort of six or 12 months in this COVID period. And we really treasure those stories because we see in these stories, not just people and their stories, we see God, we see Jesus and his majestic work. That's what we get to see. Let's make sure we notice that and be encouraged to keep holding on to Jesus to see this transforming world will come to a completion in that eternal kingdom. Let's wrap things up. Now, the call to be a Christian, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Right, the call to give up that marshmallow, give up that marshmallow called my life, my own way. The call to give up that marshmallow called gain the most from the world, best life now. The call to lose our lives to Jesus, to gain the one that he has in store for us. The call to, to not be ashamed of him in this life. What is crucial in being able to meet these calls is to see that Jesus is reliable. To experience that that those experiences that God has given us to pin our faith on, to encourage our obedience, to enable us to keep walking with Jesus, to keep seeing that the best life is not now, but the one that is to come. And the encouragement that God gives us is the glorious word of God and the majestic work of Christ in our lives and the lives of the people around us. When's the last time you were truly encouraged as you opened God's glorious word? When's the last time you looked into the change that God has brought in your life and the lives of the people around you and been encouraged to keep holding on to Jesus? Because if you're not doing that, you're shortchanging yourself. You're handicapping yourself. You're rejecting the gift of grace that God is giving you to help you to keep pressing on in trusting Jesus. So perhaps today... The next time you open the word again, maybe later on today, tomorrow morning, treasure the word of God and be encouraged by it to keep following Jesus. Maybe after this, as you speak to the people around you, reflect on what God has been doing in your life by his spirit, the majestic work of grace. The people around you as well be encouraged as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and we confess to you that we often do find walking with Jesus, following him, denying ourselves and taking up his cross to be such a challenge, to be so daunting. Perhaps we might even fear that we are unable to do so. As we think that way, we, we thank you that your word tells us that you're in the business of encouraging us, enabling us to keep trusting and following Jesus. We thank you that for the disciples, they got the glorious experience of seeing your kingdom come in power through the transfigured Jesus, flanked by the glorious Moses and Elijah, hearing the voice from heaven that declared the identity of your son. 
We thank you that disciples in the valley got to see in this faithless and broken world a vision and experience of your majestic grace in healing that demon-possessed boy and freeing him from his pain. But we thank you that we have something even more sure. We have the prophetic word, your word, that tells us the entire story of your kingdom and of your son. Help us not to neglect your word or to look down on it or despise it or take it for granted, but help us to be encouraged so much by it as we read your revelation to us in your word. We pray too that you'll help us to be deeply encouraged as we look into our own lives and see how you are in the business by your spirit of bringing healing and transformation in us. We thank you too that there are so many clear examples and evidences of your grace at work also in the people around us. As we see Jesus' majesty by his spirit at work, do encourage us, we pray, to keep following Jesus every day till the end. For all this we pray in Jesus' name.